Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm going to be having another one of our beautiful conversations with the amazing Danny Willow. Danny, thanks so much for making time to share your amazing wisdom. Thank you, Joss. Thanks for having me back again. I'm excited to be here as always. So if you haven't listened, Danny and I have been having a few different conversations on this podcast and we're going to continue to have lots of beautiful conversations because we love working together. We love talking to each other about aware parenting. And so we thought we'd just record it and share it with everybody else. So yeah, I invite you to go and listen to some of the other episodes. And Danny has a new beautiful website, which perhaps you can mm. talk about at the end as well. And today we're going to be talking, as the title tells you, about all about siblings. And this was in response to um, a listener who contacted me ages ago. So I'm really sorry it's taken us so long to get to it, but better late than never, to ask us to talk about siblings, how to navigate having more than one child, how to support them to have good relationships, how to deal with all the challenges and the practical issues of having more than one child to be dealing with, to be listening to, to be playing with and how to still find ways to support ourselves and to meet our own needs when we've got multiple children at home to be looking after. So it's a big topic, isn't it? It's so big. I'm thinking like, wow, there's so much we could talk about. It's definitely going to go over an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where do you want to start? Well, perhaps we could start with you know, just acknowledging the fact that what we really want when we have more than one children is for them to have these beautiful harmonious relationships where they get on super well, where they play together gorgeously, where everything is harmonious and easy in the family and how painful it is that there are lots of times when it's not like that and how joyful it is in the moments when it is like that. Mm. Have you found that in your family? Absolutely. I think when I, when Kiki was born Marley just adored her from the get-go and they have always had a really close and loving relationship but I think there has been times and what I've really noticed is when I you know when I first found aware parenting and I was really trying to unpack a lot of what was happening for me I probably wasn't spending as much time sort of connecting with them and giving them what they needed I was doing a lot of inner stuff and so I think that when that happened, I really noticed that there was a, a lot more sort of disconnect between them and a lot more, you know, sibling rivalry, as we like to call it. And the more connection I had with both of them and the more time I put into them and, you know, we're going to go through lots of ideas around that. But, for example, things like special time or, you know, snuggling up in bed each night and really, you know, making things really fair and equitable. So what we do for one, we do for the other and those sort of things. I started to notice that they would often have a much deeper connection for a longer period of time and then you know as things happen and we became disconnected again that's often when the rivalry sort of came back in so for me that's always sort of been that ebb and flow of yeah trying to find that balance isn't it of like being connected with them working on our things and trying to support them to you know navigate conflict yeah, totally. And it's almost it's almost a barometer, isn't it? What yes. what that relationship is looking like between the two of them to see all the other things then and when things are going more challenging between the children, it's often a sign for us to be looking at okay, so, you know, is it that I need more support and more listening myself or is it that they need more individual connection or you know, what is it that's going on? But it's a it's an opportunity to reflect on how to how to meet needs, whether that's ours or theirs or both, to to bring more harmony and connection between them. And I love that what you were saying, that the more you're connected with each of them individually, the more harmonious their relationship is with each other. And I've definitely found that too. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've found, Joss, over the years as your kids are obviously much older, just what you've noticed in that the trends of how it flows. Particularly, I think it's also interesting, you know, for people who have younger kids, and we've said this in like multiple different things, 
is it is it going to be? Are they going to be okay? Is this aware parenting stuff going to work? All that sort of stuff. That's what we often hear. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you found it, particularly in the tween sort of teen years, because I think things do shift quite drastically and hormonally things are different. And, and I think the different sexes, if they're male or female or, you know, whatever they are, that that, that also plays a part in how they show up to each other. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when they're little, it's mm. it's often the case that they it's certainly true for my children that they used to play together for hours and there would be conflicts and there would be times of challenge and there would be lots of times where big feelings were coming up for either or both and and we'll talk a bit more about how to deal with that um later in the podcast but the 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 main vibe was that they adored each other and they adored playing with each other and they spent a lot of time playing together and with with me there too but you know they really were very closely connected. And of course, because they weren't at school, they were together all the time. And I had moments where I remember my mum saying at one stage, it's going to be really difficult for their relationship to have them both at home. But actually the opposite was true. They, They really had this real closeness. And then as they came into the teen years and they started to sort of individuate more, I noticed a, a separation between the two of them. And I guess that there've been moments in, in their teenage years where they've been really connected with each other and moments where they've been more focused on the the separateness of their lives. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I felt a bit like, oh, I had some grief in a way around really missing those days. And when I see photos of them, like even if I just look at photos of them in their younger years, they're always photos of the two of them. They're always together pretty much all the time. They were or playing or whatever. And and then if I look at photos of them in teenage years, there's many more photos of them apart than there are together. So I I did have, you know, there was often this sort of sense of, of sadness that their relationship, there was some distance between them. And I think that's just an inevitable part of that individuation process as they develop different interests and have have relationships with other people outside of the family and, and spend more time with their friends. And then as they start to get into having partners, that, that also takes a lot of the focus and the energy away. And what I noticed more recently with my children is that when, because my son's not living at home anymore, there was less, I think he was having, he he gets less listening. I mean, I do spend a lot of time still connecting with him, but there's less of that listening to feelings, less of that sort of attachment playtime where we're connected with each other. And so when he would come home, there would often be lots of big feelings for him and lots of time for us to then meet to connect with him, listen to those feelings and so on. And so there were times when that would there would be conflict between the two of them as a result of those big accumulated feelings and and I know there's lots of pressure and lots of challenge that they're they're navigating in this time you know it's a really pressure filled stressful time to go through the teen years the older teen years and the young adult years so and what i notice now is that we've just been away as a family all together for 4 weeks which has just been so amazing And then we were together for a week when we got home. So we've had this five-week period where we've been together. And part of me before the the holiday was a bit like, oh, apprehensive, I suppose, about how their Mm -hmm. relationship was going to go. But after having these five weeks together where we've had so much connection time, where both kids have had lots of listening time and lots of play and lots of fun and all that kind of stuff, their relationship has been re-strengthened and there's a real new increased depth to the connection that they have with each other, which is just beautiful. And I know that it is different as they get older, definitely. But I know that the the quality of their relationship is is really extraordinary. And there were lots of times when I would say to them when they were fighting, when they were or having conflicts, when they were in younger teens, we would have lots of conversations about outside that moment of conflict, of course, about what it means to have relationships. And I think it's a really powerful learning opportunity for them as well, that they can then apply to all the relationships that they have in their life, that relationships need work. And that when you really love somebody, you you work at it. And it could be that in the moment there's big feelings and, and it could erupt and there could be arguments and fights, but that you always have this deep, sense of connection that you keep coming back to and you keep making time to spend time together. So nothing brings me more joy now than like my son will come home from uni and 
they'll go off to the beach together and then they'll go out for lunch and they'll just hang out. And I just watching them drive off to have quality time together just oh, it makes my heart sing. I love it. I love it. But it's work. It's ongoing work. Wow, that's so, so, so beautiful. I love hearing that. I love hearing how it changed from, you know, that deep play. And I, I really resonate with that because I see that in my girls, like that deep play for hours and hours and hours. And then just that differentiation into just different people and sort of the coming back and, you know, moving apart. And I love hearing that they reconnected on this holiday. That is just so magical. And I, I really, I was listening to you speak and I was thinking how powerful is that to have and know and embody that relationships are challenging. And I think, you know, if we look back at a lot of what our imprints and stories might have been when we were children, you know, it was just like, get on with it. you got to play with your sister. You know, you can't say you can't play. Like we had all these sort of things that we said to children around, like, we just have to, we just have to play with them. And maybe we didn't want to, or we, we have to be kind to them. And maybe we didn't like that person. Right. And but really, you know, when we deeply love someone, that it's not all roses and fluffy and beautiful all of the time. And there is going to be times where we separate and there is a bit of conflict, but it's what we do with that, I suppose, which then creates whether this relationship sort of is nurtured and maintained or, you know, it can start to sort of drift apart. And I think there's something really, really beautiful and profound that sharing that with your kids as they grew up, knowing that we've got to work at this and to maintain it. And it's like, like you said, like all relationships, are, they're difficult. We have to actually show up and spend time together and listen to each other's feelings and work through things. And, and I love that that is no different to when we have our siblings. And, you know, if I think back to my own sister and we were four years apart and, and no one really ever fostered that. And so, you know, there were definitely times where we were deeply close and would play together but I, I definitely think from from me I was the older sister and there was a lot of my needs were not being met and so I used to power over her a lot and I also witnessed lots of things that are really traumatic happened to her and I guess it was also a sense of helplessness that I couldn't really protect her either and it wasn't really until like we both sort of finished school you know we really distanced ourselves we kind of didn't have anything in common for many 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 years and then it wasn't really until we finished school that you know as I sort of sort of went on this self-discovery and sort of journey that I started to really put in a lot of effort and make time for her and, and connect with her and you know now as we go through different seasons there, there definitely are points where we have felt more connected but I definitely think that it is it is something that I've had to learn that she's also a relationship and it takes time and we need to connect and spend this time together to really grow and nurture that relationship between us but you know it didn't come so naturally and it's taken many years for me to get there and a lot of disconnection for us to really come in that way and I think that sort of plays into a lot of what sometimes I've witnessed with Marley and Kiki you know and it and it brings up stuff for me and that's definitely something that you know we'll talk more about as we go on but yeah I think that that whole thing you spoke to is really powerful. Oh, yeah, I love what you were sharing there, Danny. I really do. And I, I think, you know, what you were saying about the fact that when we were children, there was no acknowledgement of, of what our needs were in terms of our relationship with our siblings. And, yeah, that story that you had to get on, you had to play together, you had to, you know, you had to always be thinking about the other person. With it, that was just further sort of undermining our connection with our own authentic self and, and not being able to, to express feelings. Like I never would have been able to say, I hate you to my brother, or if I did, I would have been punished. Or, okay. you know, there would have been no opportunity to share any feelings about our relationship. So I love how when we have more than one child ourselves, it is this really beautiful invitation to explore all that more as part of our reparenting parallel journey to be looking when especially when there's stuff going on between the kids it can be a real like interesting opportunity to go back and to think about how things were for us and our siblings at that age as always with the we're parenting it's such a beautiful invitation isn't it and I love that again we can bring the tools of aware parenting that we have now to our relationships now with our siblings and I mean I had a similar thing my brother and I were close initially and then we were both sent away to boarding school and that really caused a lot of rupture in our relationship because even though we were at the same school we were both like really in survival mode which didn't have leave any space really for us to be working on our relationship at all but 
as adults, we've been really close. And I noticed again, this time going back to the UK and spending time with him, it was just a joy to be with him. And I, we had some really profound and beautiful healing experiences together, which were just amazing. But we again, when we bring these tools of listening to feelings, prioritizing connection, understanding needs, and, and those beautiful, respectful communications. And we can offer that to our siblings now and, and share that with them now. And that will really, uh, that's really supported me to, to foster a really deep and loving relationship with my brother, who I, who I just adore now. Mm, I love hearing that. I think that's so beautiful, Joss. And just, yeah, just that I, I think the realization that, you know, maybe what we couldn't do back then wasn't our fault, like really releasing ourselves. You know, some of us, lots of people that I work with now, and I'm sure you do too, have strained relationships with with siblings and with parents and all those sort of things. And I think there is something to be said for really acknowledging that part of the reason that maybe we don't have a good relationship with our siblings is a little bit circumstantial and it is a little bit to do with the environment that we grew up in. And, and we all experienced our parents from different, you know, they were different versions of themselves. And so, you know, what we might have experienced might have been different to a sibling. And so we don't see things from the same perspective, right? And so I think that's really important because often, you know, when I talk to my sister about things, she goes, gosh, really, I don't remember that at all. And, you know, she'll remember something. And I'll say, I don't remember that. We we all remember different parts. But yeah, I, I really love that you are, you know, able to have that beautiful time with him. And it is about really being in physical space together and talking and sharing. And, you know, I certainly know that also to be true, like with my sister, you know, obviously with my mum passing away, you know, there's just the two of us. We've got my dad. He's, you know, another special circumstance. So that's difficult at times, but we have each other. And I, I noticed that since she's passed, there's been more of both of us calling each other and checking in and wanting to spend time together. I think we also learn as we get older that there's a fragility of life and that we're not all going to be here forever. And so when we are together, there is that deep connection and presence, which we can have, you know, from this really adult sort of wise perspective of like, you know, life isn't forever. But, you know, again, when we're with in these moments with our little people, right, <laughs> and they're having these really big reactions to, he took my toy and, you know, well, she hit me and, you know, and, and you sort of sit there and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, how do we get here? But how do we really get from that all the way up to these beautiful, loving, connected relationships? And, you know, I think what you highlighted is so important that we go back in, that we listen and get loads of listening time and unpack really what our childhood was and what was happening for us and why we show up in the ways that we do with our children and try and bring in more connection and love with our own siblings if we can and if we're talking to them, because that really does heal a lot of that inner child within us so that we can really show up in beautiful ways with our kids. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And the more that we do of that, the more harmonious our children's relationships going to be 100% for sure. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. So let's talk a bit about, shall we, about how we mm. can support our children then as well, as well as this, you know, doing that side of things and doing, getting our listening to and it was interesting. I recently wrote an article about this on my website and I was I was doing some Google searching about it all. And one of the, as I typed in, one of the search terms, one of the first suggested search terms was how many times an hour do siblings fight? So like, it's really, you know, it's a big issue. It's a really common challenge for people, isn't it? And so I wonder if we could start like at, right at the beginning. So what, what can we do to prepare our older children for the birth of a younger sibling? Because I think when we start there, well, obviously we start with our work, but in terms of actually supporting directly our children, when we start with the before the sibling even arrives, that can have a really profound and beneficial impact on the quality of the relationship and the harmony between them. What, mm. what would you like to say about that, Danny? Yeah, I, th I think um, I had a really close friend at the time and when I was pregnant, she she kind of went through her, had an older sibling before Marley and then we were sort of both pregnant with the second at the same time. And, you know, one of the things she said to me was like to not use language like you're going to be a big sister now and like, you know, and make a really big thing like it's all going to be really different. 
and actually that, you know, they're still going to be your little baby forever, right? And we don't want them to feel like this new baby's coming in and they're being replaced. So I was very, very careful around the language that I used. And I also remember talking to Marley and saying things to her like, the baby's not going to be very interesting in the beginning, you know, like the practicalities of having the baby, like it's going to cry a lot and it poos and we're going to have to bath it and these are the things we're going to do and you can help me do this only if you'd like to. And, you know, we read lots of books, but I think what what I really tried to emphasise with her was that my love for her wasn't going to change and that we were still going to have really special moments together where we could you know, connect in and, you know, that the baby was going to have time with me, but it was also going to have time with her and time with dad and that we were all going to navigate this, you know, as, as as beautifully as we could. And another piece of advice that someone gave me was when, you know, when when the baby is, you know, it arrives that, you know, obviously we, we hold and all that sort of stuff. But when Miley sort of came over, I put the baby down and took Miley in my arms straight away so that it didn't feel like, I, I was still hers. I wanted her to know that even though this baby was here, you know, and it was Kiki and her little baby sister, you know, that she was still a part of it. And so often we we hold the baby in our arms and we, you know, show show the older sibling. But in this, I really wanted to embrace her so that she knew that there was no separation. And I think, you know, we have to think of it from the perspective of the child. And someone once explained it to me, like, it's like your husband coming home and saying, I have another wife and we are going to live with her and you're going to cook for her and clean for her and do all the things for her. And this is what she's going to do. And you just have to accept it. And I think if we we go from that perspective, like often, you know, we might have children, you know, into have another baby when our other children are still quite young. And I know Aletha Salter in her books often writes that we should at least give three years and I think when I had Kiki I hadn't found a way of parenting yet and that perspective hadn't even you know come into my mind that by three they're much more independent and have a greater understanding of the world but often you know there are lots of people that I work with in in my own case they were 23 months apart where you know that little person is really still quite young and still has great needs and so we need to be aware of that you know and and really you know really tenderly cater to what they need as often as possible when we introduce this new baby into the world and into the family unit I think for me they were some core things that really supported me and they had a a beautiful like it was really beautiful Marley loved her from the, the moment she entered the world but you know they were some things that were really important to us as a family what would you like to add to that yeah I love that. And I think um, when we have that perspective, I love how Aletha talks about, I think it was in Aletha's book where she talked about the the husband coming home and saying, you've got another wife. And I, I think when we have that perspective and that understanding and we keep reminding ourselves of that, it's so helpful because then we can be really compassionate towards our older child. Because when we're stressed and stretched and we suddenly find ourselves with two children and our older child starts being difficult or demanding or whatever, it can be quite easy to go into that. You know, we have suddenly have very different expectations of our older children, don't we? And so yes. when we can keep this perspective in mind and understand what they are experiencing and the impact of that on them and for their life, it helps us to be compassionate and to stay loving and to stay connected and to stay meeting their needs. So, yeah, I love that you brought that in. And I think, you know, as always with aware parenting, if we come back to those uh, that list of three things that our children mm-hmm. need in order to get them to cooperate, the information, the meeting needs and the listening to feelings and play – we can really apply that to before birth and after birth. And I think, you know, for before birth, the information piece is really important, like you were saying about, but also the uh, information about your know, babies, where they come from, particularly if your baby's actually going to be there. Like my oldest son was there at the birth because I had a home birth for Jada. And so, you know, lots of information that they need over and over and over again about birth and about reproduction and about sex and you know age appropriate obviously but you know information too about the practicalities of of what that's going to be and I love that you were sharing how you did that with Marley but what's going to happen on the day that the child is born and who's going to be looking after them or you know what's going to happen afterwards and and that reassurance that they need again and again and again about that we still love them and 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 that we'll you know we still want to be with them but also acknowledging that yeah it is going to make a difference to it is going to be different 
and that we still really love them and that we're there for them. So, yeah, that's a really important part of the the information piece. And I think it's a really important at that time. I know I, we we often bring it back to us and our feelings, but I think it's so important in the run up to birth for us to be getting lots of support too, because I remember having lots of grief around what it was going to mean to my relationship with soul, my oldest. And I remember having times of thinking, am I going to have enough love to give a second child? Will I be able to love this next one as much as I love my first? But also just knowing that that intimate and special connection that I had with soul was going to be different now forevermore. And so I think, yeah, making sure we're getting lots of listening about all the fears and the worries that might be coming up for us about our relationships with our other children and about the birth process and about how we're going to manage having two kids. It's really, really important, isn't it? And and mm-hmm. likewise, listening, listening to our children's feelings too and bringing in as much attachment play, which is really hard when you're pregnant, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, suddenly you've gone from being a very tired parent with two years cumulative exhaustion mm-hmm. or however long it is. And but then, you know, I remember my first trimester, I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And so trying to offer attachment play and listening to feelings to the first when you're growing the second is it's pretty hard. So lots of support for us really makes that process easier, doesn't it? Mm, I love what you said right at the start, because I think I mean, I love everything you said, but specifically something does shift for us when we birth another being into the world and then all of a sudden we look at our older child and they usually they do change but all of a sudden we see them as they're bigger or they you know they start misbehaving and we suddenly start going well where's that beautiful connected loving you know they were so easy right and now like what's happening and it's normally around the ages of like two, three, you know, where they started to realise that they're no longer just an extension of you. They actually are their own individual being and they can go out into the world and they can respond, you know, and they can say what they want to say and and they can have different ideas to what we expected. And all of a sudden we've got this little beautiful being that we've just birthed who so in some ways, you know, can be quite easy. They feed and they sleep and, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and then we're looking at this older child kind of going, oh, my God, like what's happened here? And I think that's so important because sometimes they can really love their sibling and everything's really great in terms of the way that they are together, but yet their behavior plays up in other ways, right? And again, in a way parenting, we know that we can look at that and go, okay, what are they trying to communicate to me here, right? So they might be really loving of their sibling and, you know, totally into it. You know, it might not be what we expected. In some cases, they do move into the, you know, not liking their sister and saying they want the baby to go back and all, you know, hitting and all those things. But in some cases they really love them, but then in other ways they can show us that it's really challenging. And usually that is by doing those things such as not willing to cooperate with us. Maybe they wake a lot more in the night, you know, maybe crying about things like, you know, the broken cookie phenomenon where it's like the blue, you know, the last half cookie in the jar, but they wanted a full cookie. There's a lot more feelings to be had. And again, I think what you said is so true because often we're quite you know, exhausted in those early days. It's like, you know, we're transitioning. If we're breastfeeding, the milk's coming in. All of the are these hormonal shifts that are happening. We're trying to navigate our bodies. We're trying to, you know, nurture this little being. And all of a sudden we've got this really challenging, you know, two, one, one and a half, two, three-year-old here. And that can feel really big. And so I think it is so important to have that support. So even if it's, you know, the pre-birth or it's the afterbirth, just to have someone to go, oh, my gosh, you know, this is really, really much harder than I thought it would be because I think often when we go, when we have our first baby, it's very much about, oh, how am I going to keep this thing alive and what, you know, how do I breastfeed and how do they sleep and trying to work out who we are as a parent. But remembering that whenever we birth another being, we're moving into a totally new version of ourselves. And often we have all of that stuff down packed, but we're still learning with our first child because that's the first of everything. And now we've also got to navigate, okay, this part with this little being as well. And so I think that can just pull us in lots of different directions and push us to, you know, sometimes really, really 
unkind places, both to ourselves and to particularly the older child. And so I think that is something really important that you touched on there, just to really highlight that and say, I feel like that's really normal and really common and certainly something I experienced. Yeah, yeah, totally. And if you think about how we evolved to live as humans, we would be having our second and third and fourth children in a community where our first child's attachment needs were being met in multiple places with multiple different adults. And for the vast majority of us, we're doing this maybe in a single family, it might be single parent, or it might be in a partnership, but mm. you know, they're, they're very difficult to meet their attachment needs still in that in that setting, in that context. And so it's so inevitable that there's going to be big feelings. And I loved how you brought up the fact that, you know, often we can see these big feelings playing out. Sometimes it is in aggression and, and harshness towards the sibling, although usually that doesn't start straight away. And yeah. I think it wasn't till my son, sorry, it wasn't till my daughter started being mobile that my son started to have issues around her existence because she would go and like crawl into his toys and stuff. And sometimes it takes time. And the, initially the older sibling might be like, oh, yeah, this is all right. I can deal with this. And then they realize that this this child's actually going to be there forever in their lives. And they think, oh, okay, can we, we can send them back now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that we can see it coming, playing out in, in, it could be in regression. So mm -hmm. it might be that they have been independent with toileting and then suddenly they go back and, and they, they're refusing to, to use the potty or, uh, you know, wanting nappies again, or it could be that they start talking like in a real baby voice. It could be that they're very demanding and not able to do things that they were previously independently able to do. And so again, when we can see that this is an invitation to be meeting their needs, to be listening to their feelings, to be connecting through play rather than thinking, oh my God, they're being so annoying. I know you can tie your shoelaces yourself. You've done it before. Just go and do it. I don't have time to be tying your shoelaces too now. And that's what I love about attachment play for this period, because like particularly with things like regressions, that can be so beautiful if your child comes up to you and starts talking in a baby voice and instead of being annoyed by it, you can really join them in that and pick them up and be like, oh, my little baby, you're still my little baby. Come to mommy, mommy, give you nappy or, you know, whatever it is. Parents sometimes worry that if we sort of, what they see is indulging that regression, it's going to encourage them to do it more. But exactly the opposite is true, isn't it? When we when we connect in these playful ways and see that as an invitation, then then that can heal the feelings that are there for the child, and then they can go off and be be happy and and lovely to their sibling again. Or it could come out in in aggression. It could come out, like you said, in big tantrums and and lots more of that kind of lack of cooperation and inflexibility. So yeah, recognizing that and then using these beautiful tools of aware parenting to support them can be really nice. And one of the things I always really recommend is lots more attachment play wherever you can fit it in. And it doesn't need to be three hours of special time, which of course you're not going to be able to do once you've got two children. But I used to love just doing when my daughter was sleeping, I would go and play pretty much every day. I would do some attachment play with special time with my son. And it, and explicitly saying to him, I know we don't get as much time together as we used to, so I really want to make sure that we still play. And, and that was just so profound for him. Mm. And again, bringing in the timer. And if all you've got is a 45 minute or an hour where you're available, can you offer 10 minutes of, of special time and have a timer and then be listening to 20 minutes of feelings? I mean, that would just be really huge. Mm. And uh, and I found that so, so powerful with him. What, mm. what else do you want to say about attachment play? Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, around the time or maybe, you know, sort of six to nine months after Kiki was born, Marley started replaying her birth. So she used to wrap herself in a burrito, like it wrap herself up in a blanket over and over again. And um, I think I've spoken about this on another podcast, but then pull herself out. And so she was really, you know, replaying this over and over again and wanted to play babies and be a baby. And we just went with it, you know, and she wanted to do whatever Kiki was doing and she loved to help do everything with Kiki. And I remember that I would make specific time for her where we would go out and we would just go to the playground without Kiki being with us so that I could go and push her on the swing and do all of those, you know, all of those things that, she wanted me to do as well as just at home saying to her, you know, 
I've got five minutes, Kiki's gone to sleep, what should we do, you know, and spending that quality time together. And I, I think that it was, it's a tricky time when I think that because as I spoke about on a previous podcast, you know, Mally had a dummy. And so I think a lot of what she really, truly felt in that transition to becoming an older sister was probably really deeply suppressed. And so I did ha- was doing lots of listening, starting to do lots of listening around the releasing of her dummy, which was probably a lot to do with lots of other things that were going on as well. But I started to really see that, you know, she was, the more we released the dummy and all that, the more she was sort of coming out of her shell. And, you know, we just used to have the best time as 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 we started to really connect more and more. And then I think back and sort of time went on and there was, you know, loads of time where we did nudie rudy dance parties where the girls were both nude and, you know, putting on like, you know, gorgeous music and doing massages together. And so just, yeah, I think that the play really just helped support her because it was big. It was we were going through a big transition through lots of different transitions at that time. But the play for me you know, I guess one part I did feel, which I will speak to, is I, I I think it really supported her because there was so much change happening for her. And at the same time, I remember feeling like so much of me didn't want to play. And I was so like, you know, I really felt quite stuck with it. I didn't have a list of like games at that stage. I was sort of like I'd read Aletha's book and I definitely did some of the suggestions in her beautiful attachment playbook. But I think that there was a there was a lot of me was really resistant to doing this type of play. And, you know, as we often say now that that's probably because I wasn't played with in this way. And often as a child, I was kind of just sent off, you know, off you go. And they were just, you know, you're really not to disturb us and all those sort of things. And so I remember there was, um, I was doing a Marion's Aware Parenting Instructor Mentoring course. And there was one section in the course, which was a video of Marion playing with her kids when they were little and all the different games that she would play. So it came up with like the name on the screen and then it showed her like playing this game with it. And I was so inspired, like so deeply inspired because I could really see that the laughter, like, you know, that connection was something that I really had never experienced myself. And so she had a list of like some games she recommended for different things. And they were all things that at that time I was finding really challenging, which most parents do, which is like brushing your teeth, getting dressed in the morning, putting your shoes on, you know, all the things around like not having enough information and not listening to feel, like not having enough feelings being listened to, but also this really big component, which was the attachment play. And I just remember going, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm inspired to try. And I noticed the biggest difference in when I really like, you know, we did the throwing your clothes on game and then like the, you know, your teeth are turning into magical color game and like, you know, just all these things that we started doing. And it just transformed my connection with her. And I remember thinking like, this is what childhood should be. It should be this deep laughter and connection. And so, yeah, I do think that in that period where things were really that, you know, it's foggy and you're trying to work out this new baby and navigate listening to feelings for two and all those things, if we can lean into those things that we know work really well, so particularly if we've been doing aware parenting for you know a period of time with our first or you know we've got some games already down packed that we know work really well to really lean in on that because that just made you know so much difference in her world and and just formed a really beautiful deep connection between us that wasn't there before Kiki arrived Mm, yeah absolutely yeah, so much. I've found that so much too. Yeah. And I think two of the other types of games that I find really helpful for navigating this particular issue was the first is symbolic play. And that was giving my son opportunities to be unconditionally loved through playing with a toy baby and doing whatever he wanted to do. And sometimes that was chucking the baby in the bin. Sometimes that was throwing the baby against the ceiling, you know, or or playing with a little family of uh, a doll family and, and allowing him to just play whatever. And I remember the first time he said that he hated his sister. I really hate her and I wish she'd never been born. And there was part of me inside that I wanted to say, oh, 
don't say that to your sister. It literally broke my heart. No, don't say that. But I, I stopped myself just in time. And instead I, I said to him, yeah, I really hear you. You know, tell me more. What else? What would you like to do to her? You know, shall we get rid of her? Shall we chuck her in the bin? You know, that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I took my feelings to my listening partner of, oh God, they're going to hate each other forever. And what have I done? And I've ruined his life by having a, you know, all of that stuff was taken elsewhere. So I found those kind of games really helpful, the symbolic play. And the other one was the collaborative play. So anytime there was tension and uh, the vibe was getting a bit ick between the two of them, Anytime I had capacity, I would try and move in and invite them to collaborate together against me. And so two of our favorite games would be where I would be trying to chase them both and capture them. And if I captured one, the other one would come and liberate them. And then I would be all frustrated and go back to trying to catch them again. And the other was where we used to play. We had a mat- big mattresses on the floor and the two of them would gang up together to try and push me off the bed onto the floor. And every now and then I would get one of them and I would nearly get them on the floor and then the other one would grab them and rescue them and then I would end up on the floor. And those were two really, really beautiful go-to things that I would do again and again and again with my kids whenever there was tension that would completely shift the vibe, that would support this beautiful connection between the two of them against me where there was power reversal in there. There was all kinds of boxes ticked. And so those were, again... I love that you brought up the fact that it is sometimes really hard to to get the energy and the motivation to play. But these are really simple little things that we can do that don't have to go on for hours and that transform the relationship. And what I found was that after doing these kinds of play, my kids would go off and play together happily for hours on end. And I would be able to make myself a cup of tea and sit in the sun for five minutes or do 200 loads of laundry or whatever it was that was waiting for me. So it's really it's really worth it when we can find that inspiration from somewhere, isn't it? Oh, so much. And um, I'm, I'm just thinking as you're speaking, like there's a few things that come up that people often say, but I think the one thing that's so important is just around that that them ganging up on you like that I find that works so well and it's just you know taking my memory up like one one game that they always want to play is washing party and washing wars because there are 200 loads of washing on our like our spare spare room bed and so what will often happen is is I can feel that vibe and they're sort of arguing and and I and a lot of it is about being first that's really a thing like I want to be first no I'm going to be you're going to make my hot chocolate first you know that sort of stuff and so, you know, I'd love to hear, Joss, if you have games around that, like what you would suggest. But one of the things, you know, we always go and, and then I'm like, all right, let's see it. We're going out to have, you know, the washing washing party where we basically turn on this bluey song and we throw the washing all over the room. Like it goes everywhere, all over. We're throwing and they're, they're throwing it at me and knocking me down and I'm trying to throw it at them, but I'm always missing them. And and then we scoop all and then the song ends and we scoop. We sometimes go through that twice and they, we all roll in the washing on the bed and it's just so joyous anyway then we scoop all the washing up into a big pile and then the next part of the game proceeds and it's basically me trying to get the washing from them so that I can put it away (laughs) and they really like you know make this fort of pillows and I'm like trying to get in there I'm lucky if I get like one sock and like I've got to be in the mood for that one because that one can go on for quite a long period of time because it's usually a lot of washing but just the joy and the laughter and they're like ma don't let her get that one and like you know they come out and they pretend to like attack me and then they're like this is a magical wand and it's going to change you into different things and then I'm like a chicken trying to get the washing and it's just really you know it's really beautiful and it really does shift and then just like you what I do notice is straight after that they are so deeply connected to each other. All the feelings, you know, of what whatever was happening for them before has shifted and then they are so much more willing to go in and play together, you know, for long periods of time. And what I have noticed as they've gotten older is, um, you know, they will play for longer periods of time. So, you know, for like hours and hours, like you, like you spoke about at the start of the podcast, because there's, there's no feelings and they're deeply connected to one another, and, you know, coming in in and out and asking me for things and needing some support with things. But in general, that, you know, really happy to play together and whatever. But sometimes I find that actually our expectation can be really high. Like we'll often just say, off you go, go and play. And they're not 
they're not, you know, particularly when they're a little bit younger, they're not quite at the age where maybe they can navigate like who's playing what role or, you know, they might be playing a board game and maybe the younger one doesn't exactly know the rules and the older one just assumes that they know them. So what I found was really useful was actually coming into the playroom and spending five or 10 minutes like helping them set it up and navigate it and having a discussion about it. What are the rules and what happens if this person doesn't do what we want them to do? And, you know, how can we navigate that? And like almost preempting the things that might poses a challenge as they continue to play together and have conversations and make agreements. And I found that worked really well because then often the play went much more smoothly where I know sometimes we want them to go off and play because we do have loads of laundry to do or we're trying to cook a meal or we're trying to get something else done. But if we just take, you know, remembering that they're really little, you know, they're, they're three and four or five or six or whatever age they are, still learning how to navigate conflict. They're still learning about each other and what, you know, what pushes each other's buttons and really how to play in this certain way. And really that parallel play doesn't come in until five or six either. So until then, you know, the the cooperative play, sorry, doesn't come until five and six. The parallel play only, you know, really is what they're kind of doing up until that age. And so our expectation is sometimes that we just want them to go away from us and do the thing. But actually, if we just take the five, or 10 minutes to sort of set it up for them there's much more success and then there's less frustration on our part of having to keep coming in all the time so they're just a few things that I found have worked really well over the you know the few years Mm, yeah I'm just imagining how much fun it would be to be one of your kids stopping you getting socks (laughs) so lovely yeah Um, one of the things that you were saying then got me thinking about meeting needs and Mm. you were talking about trying to find ways where they both want to go first or that sort of thing. And I think sometimes it could just be really helpful and and it obviously changes as our kids grow, but to be tuning into what are our kids' major needs right now and what do they really, really value? And for for my daughter, for example, fairness was really, really, really important to her. And so, you know, just being aware of that, acknowledging that with her Mm -hmm. often and then finding ways to meet that, whether that's through the play and in that moment of play and making sure that, like you say, going in and being a referee so that it is fair for her. And and also in life generally, making sure that those needs are met and then it's less likely to come up in play. And mm-hmm. so if there is this thing around, you know, needing to be first, can we can we play with that and be bring some silliness to it? Can it be that we're really upset that we're always last and how unfair yes. that is and bringing nonsense into it? Or can we play games like, you know, follow my leader where everybody has to take a turn to be first and then if there's big feelings, we just stop and listen mm-hmm. to feelings. And sometimes that's the perspective too that we think, Sometimes we think that when we're doing attachment play, if big feelings come up and the game all falls apart, we've we've somehow failed and attachment play is not working. But really, when we can see it as this this dance that we're going through all the time, and sometimes we're playing and sometimes we're listening to big feelings and we're there and and we're just holding space for whatever comes up. And it doesn't mean that we've done the play wrong. It -hmm. just means that 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 play has provided the safety and the connection for the feelings then to come. And so I wonder if we could talk a bit about that because that's often something that comes up in sessions, isn't it, with people? How mm-hmm. the hell do you hold space for more than one child at once? You know, what if you're playing a game and somebody suddenly has big feelings? How do you respond to that? Or what if you're listening to one person's feelings and the other person starts having feelings too? Or what if one person's big feelings are very distressing and a bit cause a bit of anxiety if the baby's very small, for example, or you know, how how do we navigate all that? Again, I'd say the first thing is to make sure that we're getting lots of listening about how hard it is to be parenting more than one child. And then, so what are some of the tricks that you've used over the years, Danny, to be navigating mm. big feelings with more than one? Well, I think for, I, you just spoke to it so beautifully. Like the first part for me is acknowledging that when they are having any sort of rivalry or there's feelings or anything there that they are learning about the world, right? They're still really, really little and they're learning how to manage conflict and how to 
and and that it's safe to be this fullness of who they are and that maybe when they move out into the real world you know into the big wide world I should say and you know they're in the park and someone takes something off them you know they they don't know how to manage that yet so they get to role play this with with their siblings at home and they get to practice what pushes buttons and all that sort of stuff so I think even just acknowledging and taking it away from us that it doesn't mean we're a bad parent I think that's really just emphasizing that all children even our children who you know we know have beautiful relationships with each other it's not a reflection of us as a parent and that if we're finding it as a triggering thing like you said we have to have listening we have to go away and unpack what's really happening for us and I think the first thing is always for me is to do what I call sports casting which I kind of got from Janet Lansbury I learned a lot about how to show up as a respectful parent to two siblings um, which is to come in and kind of go I can see you know maybe we didn't see what happened, but I can see this or I can see that or it sounds like this just happened. It sounds like, Johnny, you took the thing from Tom and, you know, Tom's having some feelings about that and, you know, and and really trying not to make one the victim and one the bully because that really kind of sticks. And that can be challenging if we've got our own layers and complexities around that. So that's why, I, you know, we always emphasise the listening, getting someone to hold you through, that's really important. But I think that's the first part. It's just acknowledging that it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. They are not. This is just normal childhood development of learning how to resolve conflict. But, you know, I think what's important is if if we've got one, you know, we're playing, let's say we're playing a game and someone gets upset, you know, for me it's like that's beautiful. There's a safeness there in that moment for them to feel what they need to feel and it doesn't mean that the game's failing but we might need to put things on pause and, you know, listen to, you know, usually it's Kiki's feelings because maybe she lost the game and she's feeling really sad about that, right? And we do do some listening about that and then, you know, we'll see if she's willing to to continue the game or to play again and, and then we can move on. And I think as they've gotten older and they're getting used to the language and the understanding like Marley will say things like oh Kiki's having some feelings because she you know she didn't win this time and and learning and teaching that we can say things like you know it's just for fun it's a you know it's not like the end of the world it's just for fun it was just a game and it's okay to be upset about it so I think we've got to try and you know, we're, we're coaching and teaching them what, what the the language and the words we can say, you know, well, you know, well played at the end of a game if we don't win and we can we can slowly learn. But I think the reality is that if there are feelings there, games, are, they're going to come up. Games bring things up for kids. And I think we just have to go in with that expectation that particularly if we can see one of our kids is a bit wobbly and a bit unbalanced, that they're probably going to have feelings. And do we have capacity in this game at the moment to listen to the feelings? Now, often what people say is um, something along the lines of, but my other child doesn't want to listen. You know, they don't like hearing the baby crying or they don't like hearing the other child crying. Maybe they, you know, we didn't aware parent the first one the same. And so now they find it really hard to listen. So, you know, in that circumstance, it's like, can we set them up with something, a little activity where we can maybe move away a little bit? You know, if there's no one else at home, obviously if someone's home, what would be best is to, you know, get them to step in and take over playing with the other child and then pick the baby up or, you know, the younger sibling and move away and offer the listening somewhere else. So it's not so, you know, it doesn't heighten feelings there. Sometimes that's just not possible, right? And sometimes, you know, we move in to listen to one and then the other one gets upset because they're like, why are you listening to that one? And I want to keep going with the game. And we just have to accept that these things, that it's the reality of life that, we, you know, our children are going to have feelings about lots of different things. So the most important part, you know, I always start with the one who, you know, if if, if Kiki starts crying first, I will hold and listen and, and be with her in that. And if Marley starts to get upset, then I'll call her in as well. And we'll both just have this beautiful, you know, cuddling and listening. If Marley runs away and she goes upstairs, I'll finish listening to Kiki first. And then I'll say to Kiki, okay, it's now time to go up and we need to go in and listen to Marley and, you know, listen to her feelings. And I think over time, in my experience anyway, the girls have just adjusted to like, this is just normal. We Mum listens to our feelings and we take it in turns and, you know, sometimes it might take mum a bit longer to come up because she's busy listening to Kiki or, you know, sometimes she needs to go outside and take a deep breath before 
before she comes back to join us. But really, that's just become such a norm in our home after practicing this for so long that I think that they just know what the expectation is. But you know, in the beginning, it can be a bit messy. And we are trying to navigate like how to do that, you know, if we've got a screaming baby or, you know, so I think it's important to always check in first to go, do I have capacity to do this game where there could potentially be feelings or to, you know, and sometimes we can't avoid that. Like we're doing some attachment play and someone, you know, hurts themselves, which was, you know, an unforeseen thing that's happened. And we we move into listening there. And I think, you know, when we've got little people under five or six, we just have to have expectations that they are going to have big feelings and it is going to happen. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love all that, Danny. And I love that you started with that, that it's not a sign. And I think we can just say this over and over again and scream it from the rooftops that, you know, when things are really messy and difficult in our families, it doesn't mean we fail as a parent and it doesn't mean we're not aware parenting. That's it's right. just how life is. And so, yeah, I, I think that's really, really helpful. I love that you said that. And, you know, again, like other ways that I think we can bring more harmony in when things not in the actual moment, but more generally in parenting. Cause I think that's, you know, that what I really heard when you were talking then was around when we are doing these things more generally, our children do have this understanding that they will be heard and that we will make space for them and that we will make time for them. And that then just helps bring more harmony to the family. But the other things that I found really helpful is to make sure that we're not bringing in comparison between our children or judgment between our children or or like you say, blaming and having one as the victim, one as the bully. And also uh, the other end of the spectrum as well, not praising our children too much. And I think that's why, you know, this this idea in aware parenting of not having punishments and rewards is so important and not, not being conditional in our love. I think it is all of these things will really help promote more harmony between them. And I, and I, I think just recognizing that the overwhelm that is often there for us to, to do all this, you know, this is, this is what we're aiming for. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't, but that it's, you know, the more of that, that we can do the better in terms of their relationship with each other. There are lots of different things that we can do, but I think in the moment, what can be really helpful as well is if you're holding one child and your other child is really upset, Mm. just making sure that you are acknowledging them with words and, and, you know, offering them eye contact, maybe just touching them if you can't hold two at once, but still finding ways to provide that sense of safety and and listening to them can be really, really helpful to do all of this, all of this stuff. Again, like I said before, it really just requires us to be getting lots of support. Is there anything else that you want to add, Danny, that you found particularly helpful with your children in terms of supporting their harmony? I mean, we've covered a lot. Yeah. I think just what you spoke to about the unconditional love, like really just, yeah, like loving each other, like loving them and really just, you know, identifying what their needs are and just being really aware of that and loving them in that unconditional sense and remembering, you know, that they're unique and they have their own individual needs and just trying to meet them as often as we can and also just being really compassionate when we can't and knowing that there'll be times that we can't and that we've got all these amazing tools such as, you know, attachment play and listening to feelings to come back in and to heal when when we can't give them what they need in those moments. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, I mean, we haven't even spoken about loving limits or any of that kind of thing too, but, you know, all of these things basically we can bring in in the moment as much as we can whenever we have capacity and then that will really support support them to to release and to to be to come back to being loving and which is what they want to be with their siblings you know loving and connected so it's a big one isn't it it's a lot it's so much to juggle in our culture and yeah so often we are doing it with very little capacity very little support and so it is big but I think yeah the more that we're able to do these these things the more we're going to create what is going to be a really beautiful relationship for them for the rest of their lives really precious precious connection isn't it yeah it's it's, that's exactly just a beautiful precious relationship and just really nurturing that love between them so that they can grow and even that when it does bring in the ebbs and flows of their relationship that they're always going to come back to each other which I think is really special yeah I love that Oh, wow. Thank you. That was a really beautiful conversation. Is there anything you would like to invite listeners to 
maybe focus on or or think about in relation to this? Yeah, I think I think what's what I'd love to invite people to think about is when they're when they they you know there's the siblings are fighting or your older child is you know not loving the new baby or you know when something's coming up I think the question I always sort of sit with is you know what's your internal dialogue what's it saying what are you telling yourself what are you making it mean what is it showing up as and I think when we can start to look at those things and start to unpack it a little bit then we often find our point of what's really happening for us and maybe why we can't show up so compassionately or hold space or whatever is happening. So I think that's always a really beautiful place to start. Just sit with what am I telling myself and what am I making it mean? Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. What about you? Do you have something that you'd like to offer listeners? To I mean, I, I always, that would be always where I would go to, you know, getting support for us and getting to unpack a bit of our stuff. But I think maybe in the moment would be, what can you do to resource yourself to feel that love for both of your children in that moment when there's conflict between them? Is there something that you can do or a series of things that you can do? And can you write that on the wall so that increasingly you can stay loving and stay calm and and resource yourself to have the capacity to be able to support them in that time? What might that look like? Could that be making sure that you take a moment to get yourself a drink of water or could that be just feeling your feet solid on the ground or could that be you know holding yourself whilst you're trying to referee what's going on for your children or you know what whatever that might look like and then using that as much as you can to try and stay stay there and stay supportive for your kids yeah, i love that so much that's a beautiful way to yeah, to explore and then to show up for your kids. I think that's always really important. So do you want to share a bit about your offerings, Danny, and your beautiful new website? Yes, I just redid my website. I had a beautiful lady named Talia support me through that, which was amazing because, you know, as most people know, I'm not very tech savvy. So I could never, I mean, I could have probably done it on my own, but it would have taken years. So yeah, I really, I guess the reason I redid it was I just wanted everything in one place. And so now it's all up there and it's all in one place. And it feels really beautiful to have her out in the world and to just, yeah, share her with everyone. But offering wise, we are very excited because our Exploring Aware Parenting community is in month 11. And so we've got one more month together. And then the first round is going to sort of end. And then we're going to open up the doors to everyone else who would like to come in and, and do the 12 months with us. So I'm super excited about that. And just, yeah, the other day when we had our call and it was just so easy and smooth and oh, we were just like, oh, and what about this? And what about this? And we're adding all these, you know, different layers to it. So I'm really excited. And for those of you who don't know what it's about, it's really a, a deep dive into 12 months. Each month we start a new theme to do with Aware Parenting and a real deep dive into those themes with Facebook Lives and group calls and um, loads and loads and loads of resources and just access to both Joss and I and meditations and self-reflection booklets and just a real place to unpack and be present. And I just think, gosh, I wish I had that when I had started Aware Parenting. And, and even just in the conversations every month between you and I, like I still feel like, oh my gosh, you know, and I'm learning so much and hearing different people talk about, you know, the things that they're finding difficult in aware parenting or, you know, when they're having beautiful small wins, it feels really, really nourishing to be a part of that community. So excited that that's coming up towards the end of August, beginning of September. And yeah, just all the normal one-to-one. I'm back, you know, doing online, sort of had the school holidays with the girls, but yeah, doing lots of sessions and Mother Circle starting up again here on the surf coast in Victoria. So I think there is one spot still left for that. And yeah, that's all that's all that's happening here. What about you, Joss? What's happening on your end? Well, that all sounds amazing. Yeah. And I'm I'm really excited about this year two of our Exploring Aware Parenting. And I just think the parents that we've had the honor to walk alongside for this year have just done so much amazing, amazing work supporting their children and transforming things for themselves. So really excited for next year of that. 
I have had a month off or five weeks off because I've been away on holiday and I really did absolutely nothing except a couple of calls in the community, but that was really all. Uh, I didn't do any sessions or anything. So that's really nice. I really needed that break. And so, yeah, I'm back in now, getting back into offering one-to-ones, doing more of that work. I've got lots of beautiful, like long-term people working with me, which I'm really loving and I am going to offer another live round of my teenagers course at some stage, but probably not for uh, not for a little while, but it's coming. And that's a, that's a course that you can do anytime anyway. So there's lots of course content in on my website for that. I've got next week, uh, yeah, a week on Sunday, Aletha's amazing workshop on parenting without punishments and rewards, uh, sorry, discipline without punishments and rewards that I'm hosting, which I'm really excited to because Oh my goodness. Aletha is just incredible. And I love listening. I know I'm going to learn so much from that too. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then, yeah, I got some new courses that I'm still working on and uh, yeah, all a work in progress and lots of lovely podcast conversations with you. And yeah, just keep keeping on sharing, talking, discussing. Um, yeah, all beautiful stuff. So if Mm. anybody has anything that they want us to talk about, there's a couple of other things that we've got planned to be talking about, a couple of other things that people have asked us to discuss. But if there's anything that you would like us to talk about more, please get in touch and let us know. We love trying to have conversations that are as helpful for other people as they are enjoyable for us. So, yeah, let us know. Thank you, Joss. That sounds so beautiful. I love everything that you're going to be doing. And, I yeah, I just know all the things that you offer are just so nourishing and just working with you in that community. I just feel like anyone who gets the opportunity to work with you is so blessed because it's just, yeah, so knowledgeable and all the wisdom and, yeah, having your older kids. And I think it's so supportive for people with young kids to just know that it is doable and that it can really create, you know, beautiful connections as they get older as well. So, yeah, excited to see how it all unfolds for you. And all your courses, you're like me, always creating something, but it just takes forever to sort of like, Joss and I are not the most tech-savvy people. So it's just like, <laughs> yes. although you are, you do the podcast. So I'm like, even that, I'm just like, wow, you're amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you, Danny. Yeah, I definitely need a lot of help with all this. <laughs> Stuff. I was trying to do something the other day to upload some handouts onto the website portal thing for the Aletha workshop. And this, my website support woman, who is the most patient, beautiful woman in the world, she'd sent me this video of how to do it and I'd watched it and made notes. And so I went through and I went through the notes and I uploaded it and I did it all completely wrong. And then I get really scared that I'm going to break my website. <laughs> and so I'm like emailing her again. Eventually, I think I managed to do it, and then I'd, I'd had I'd done it wrong anyway. So yeah, it's just knowing where your skills are and and outsourcing the things that you're not good at is part of the process, isn't it? It's so easy. I love that. I so resonate with that story because that's like me every time. Like, how do I do this again? But I mean, you know, the fact that you can run a podcast and make edits on your website is like it's huge. There are things that you can do, and I love that we can identify what doesn't feel good and find people to help us do those things as well. So, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for all your time and your beautiful wisdom. And yeah, really go and have a look at Danny's new website. It's absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. Highly recommend that. I'll put that link in the show description. And looking forward to speaking to you next week. Yeah, sounds beautiful. Thanks, Jess. Lots of love to everybody. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.